Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. There's much to be said about imagery in psychological context. Imagine guided imagery, mindfulness, conceptualization, a picture speaks or is worth as much a thousand words. Give somebody an image of what they're to be or what it is that you're trying to communicate. And it seems the communication goes so much better. Even as far back as we might be able to imagine. Conceptualize uh, pictures on walls, cave walls. (laughs) Symbols, symbolism. All of that has to do with image. But what if you didn't have the capability to imagine? Would that be somewhat of a liability, a disadvantage? How could it not be? (laughs) If all of those things I just finished referencing and possibly a million more, you could only imagine, uh, really then would be true. What would you be missing out on? Possibly, in some ways, though, it could be. I could see where it could be of at least one distinct advantage. Your expectations, what you think it should look like, should what they be like, as with some notion of prejudice, prejudging it all, maybe wouldn't get in the way so much. Modifying expectations might be easier if you didn't have at least that component that you were so sure of and so loyal to and represented in some ways not only a bias but an unhealthy maladaptive bias. Psychology Today. The edition, September, October 2023. The article... When your mind's eye is blind, the mysterious inability to form mental imagery by Michael Varnum, Ph.D. When reading, I've always considered descriptions of landscapes boring or puzzling. I remember talking with my now wife about how I disliked the parts of books where scenery was extensively described because it felt like a waste of time. I couldn't see it, so to speak. I found it weird that people lost their appetite when hearing a description of something that was visually gross. This was never a problem for me. Even picturing the faces of those I loved the most was a difficult task. When I was a preteen, I remember telling my parents that I sometimes mistook other people for them. They seemed shocked. At best, my mind produced dim and fleeting images of the the idea of the person's face. I'd always thought people were speaking metaphorically when they talked about their experience and mental imagery, but in adulthood, I gradually, gradually realized they seemed to actually be visualizing things in a way that was qualitatively different from my experience. A few years ago, I read a story in the American Scientist about a condition called aphantasia, 
by one of the researchers who first coined the term, and I thought, aha, now this might make sense. A mysterious condition. Aphantasia is a deficit or complete inability of the mind to voluntarily generate mental imagery. A condition diagnosed via the Vividness of Visual Imagery Questionnaire, a test designed to assess differences in mental imagery. The test includes questions such as, In your mind's eye, picture the sun rising above the horizon into a hazy sky. When you do, how clear is the image? Perfectly clear and lifelike, just like really seeing it. Moderately clear. Or is it dim and vague? If dim and vague sounds about right, and if you don't see any image at all, but just know you're thinking of a sunset, you may have a form of aphantasia. There's little evidence that this disorder gets better over time or that there is any effective treatment, but there is much we don't know and there is, a, there is little in the way of research tracking the condition longitudinally in individuals. The benefits and deficits of having aphantasia. As it happens, those with aphantasia perform similarly on tasks of visual working memory compared to those without the condition. Aphantasia is not an inability to recognize or remember what objects look like, but rather an inability to intentionally generate images in the mind's eye. Interestingly, people with aphantasia tend to have visual dreams. No one's exactly sure why this is, but it may point to the involvement of somewhat different neuronal circuitry in dreaming. There may be some advantages to not being able to generate strong visual imagery. One study finds that people with aphantasia tend to score slightly higher than controls on IQ tests. Another suggests that if you have aphantasia, you may be less likely to be spooked when reading scary stories. People with aphantasia are at a disadvantage in other ways. They are more likely to experience difficulty with autobiographical memory and have difficulty recognizing faces. As a child, I once went wandering on the beach when trying to make my way back to my parents. I approached several families who turned out not to be mine. Life without visual memory. Aphantasia is a rare condition with estimates of prevalence ranging from slightly less than 1% of the population for the most extreme form of the condition to roughly 3 to 4% for more moderate forms like mine. Men and women are equally likely to have the condition. It is also, despite an early claim by Francis Galton in 1880, no more common among scientists than others. Nor, according to a recent study, is aphantasia related to any of the big five personality traits. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. The condition does not or does appear to be hereditary, with one study suggesting that if you have aphantasia, there's a 21% chance a member of your immediate family does too. 
Further, recent work suggests that a gene related to synaptic transmission, SYT1, may play a role in the inability to generate mental images. Aphantasia appears to exist on a spectrum, but you have to have little or no voluntary visual imagery. A recent review of the literature finds that people with it may generate involuntary mental imagery and suggests a neuronal disassociation between voluntary and involuntary mental images. Far from alone, aphantasia is a fascinating condition that we're only beginning to study rigorously. It also, thankfully, tends to be one that leaves other cognitive capabilities largely intact. If you had trouble visualizing the scene at the beginning of this article, there's no cause for concern. In fact, although it's uncommon, you are far from alone. And again, the article, Psychology Today, September, October 2023. When your mind's eye is blind, the mysterious inability to form mental imagery by Michael Varnum, PhD, who is an associate professor of psychology at Arizona State University. Now, I'm a little bit uncertain about any of the things, opinion-wise, that I might state from this point on in the podcast, if only because I'm a bit still ambivalent on the ambiguity of whether this is good or this is bad. Uh, And again, even the author says there's good voice and bad voice. But I don't know that I was thinking of either the good or the bad as I might opine in the same way the author was to this extent. Sometimes I think personality as then in formation, as in then being a construct, can inadvertently, maybe there's intention, I'd like to believe that never would there be intention to put someone in a position where they would think anything in the way of negatives predominantly or negatives about themselves predominantly. Nor would I want to believe that any experience in life that has a visual sort of element and what ones don't, not only in terms of sensory input, vision being a pretty powerful, if not in itself predominant way of taking in information, as I stated earlier in the podcast, putting thoughts together even if they've never really been an experiential or empirical experience, phenomenon, experience, nonetheless, creativity, imagination is really, really not a bad thing. But when it is built upon or constructed of or goes through such the construct of a negative lens, as might be then not only the construct of all of the experiences of life, someone becoming somewhat fixated upon the negative ones, arriving at a point of not only negative self-esteem, a failure identity, so to speak, as with personality, but even so in some context of trauma, remembering, uh, always sort of seeing, not only anticipating prejudice, 
prejudice, prejudice again, to expect and hypervigilant something not so right, maybe even bad. If it were not for bad luck, I'd have none at all. I always seem to get the short of the stick. From a psychological standpoint, as with failure identity, even so in the more extreme conditions of identity, and though there wasn't so much as the author noted a correlation between neuroticism and aphantasia, I would seem to think that maybe that's a good thing in this way, that those folks who have no ability to conjure up those sort of negative hypervigilant-based, bad experiences in life, trauma, mistreatment, maltreatment, neglect, should it be included, abandonment, abuse, that could be of some advantage if somehow we could more efficaciously, efficiently remove any recall or consideration of such beyond what might be most basically adaptive to learn at least enough to stay out of, if possible, lessen the risk of engaging in similar situations or similar individuals who are attached to such situations in the future. But even then, Just because you were with somebody and something bad happened does not necessarily mean that there's cause effect, but that's what humans do. Empirically, all experience and empirical processing is to learn. And what is the most basic lessons of life? Stay away from things that could hurt you and harm you. But what in life does not have the potential risk to hurt you and harm you, including associations with people who may or may not, in nefarious sort of, once again, terms, once again, nefarious terms, might be inclined to take some advantage or intentioned to harm you in some way, we should learn from that. Pleasure, pain, hedonism. We don't, some things are instrumental. You have to sometimes go through pain. Maybe just that whole idea of learning Somewhat processing, somewhat then the challenges of processing and learning context. But once it's learned, scrub it. (laughs) Remove all the prejudice and bias that may then be conjured up in some mental imaging sort of way or reliving the trauma through mental image. Let's get rid of that as, once again, efficaciously, efficiently as possible. The task of doing that, contingent or dependent, then, upon the severity or the extreme of the negativity, measure bad situation, circumstance, as with bad luck, or worse, intentioned harm, as with trauma, As with abuse and or abandonment slash neglect, it's very difficult to scrub that. Oftentimes, the individual does not want to remember because the mechanism of defense, we call disassociation, compartmentalization, 
is there to help us to not become at some point once the danger passes so caught up in the memory of that we can't then proceed or continue in life because it's overwhelming you can't live in the physiological condition of that fear anxiety fight or flight reaction response Nor do we want you to because so much so even in that you stop really even empirically advantaging from some healthy adaptive processing that is turned toward a positive, adaptive, more life, growth, development, maturity, skill, all of those things that we would hope psychology, psychological counseling would be about, psychotherapy would be about. But it takes quite a bit of safety and security or at least finding a safe, secure place or zone relationship in which to let down the guard, open the box, remove the memory, the image, and process it. Maybe that is what confounds a bit this whole idea that it's difficult with aphantasia for some individuals or it isn't difficult I should say it that way might be a better way of saying it for some individuals with aphantasia to without intention remember or with some intention with then at base aphantasia it's difficult to conjure up a memory but maybe what's the difference there if there should be then difference from the aphantasic and those that do not have the condition. It's not that we would not all be capable of the defense mechanism of denial or more aggressively so, some disassociation, uh, an extreme, more extreme version of denial. But that, that just makes it even more difficult to then be selective in what we imagine and don't. And if a fantasia is there, we're already at a liability or deficit. So if we're going along the more traditional route of bringing up memories, <laughs> image-wise, or allowing them as they might still be stored with some visual input, along with all the other sensorium that, that was operational at time, it's difficult for that person with that disassociative dimension or in denial to even want to open up and allow that to come to awareness, consciousness, though it may come out in dream or subconscious sort of material. Also, the article alludes somewhat to that potential phenomenon, potentially that phenomenon. But when we do the work of scrubbing it, removing the prejudice, even so maybe with amnesia, forgetting it. It's no longer useful to hold on to it. Don't remember it. When we try to then make modifications to your personality, but your personality is then so (laughs) symbiotically tied to those initial inputs of sensorium and that initial conceptualization or in the storage of that in short-term 
then progress long-term memory sort of form. We want you to not remember, at least without such the prejudice of fear, fight or flight. We want you to change that because your personality then may be inclined because of that as a dynamic to have been built upon or through the lens of such faulty construction. And what's the lens? It's your conscious awareness. And so the subconscious doesn't necessarily interpret or add value, which comes back to valence, which comes back to, I think, in part, pleasure, pain, whether it's good or bad for you, whether it is a good memory, a bad memory, whether it is something to learn, not learn, something to not regard with such degree of threat. But once that gets established and not then completely analyzed with conscious awareness, you don't go through any of those higher-ordered operations of abstraction where you don't then process it with the intention of learning from, or if you should then need to learn how or in that come up creatively, brainstorm new ways of not only moving forward, but going back and sort of making corrections to the memory so that then it does not remain a key or essential pillar to your personality. So you don't become neurotic, or worse, that you need to have some malleability. Maybe aphantasia would be of great advantage in such the ability to not visualize so profoundly. But then again, significantly. But then again, concretely. But then again... The article did say that it's only the voluntary, which once more kind of moves it to conscious or strategic intention. The involuntary does not seem to be so affected by it in such the significant differential way. We again acknowledge, I do, the article acknowledges we don't know enough about it to know why, but really... It's speaking to, we don't know enough about all of it to know why. But I would like to think, at least if the end is, to get past all of that as soon as possible, as elegantly, efficaciously as possible, and that psychotherapy could be part of the answer, whether you have aphantasia or not, that would be good. Maybe you could consciously intention to not run from the subconscious, the actual memory, the recall, that long-term put it in a box, in the boxes of consciousness, to take advantage of the distinction between conscious awareness and subconscious operations and elevate it. But do that with some strategy in mind, To not get in the way, it's not going to harm you again if you've survived it. If it's historical and it's not presently continuing to go on, if the threat's been removed, 
so that you might learn a little bit more to even so increase your likelihood of not having to go through something like that again. Risk management. That's what learning is all about. Adapting. Once you figure that out, neutralize such the anxiety, fight or flight, strong emotional thinking reaction to it, so that you can then begin to sort it out, use it as a baseline or part of a paradigm that doesn't focus on, oh, that could have killed me, even I thought that killed me, (laughs) to one of, it didn't kill me, it won't in the future, hopefully. (laughs) If I can certainly learn from it, I can avoid putting myself in such risky situations. I can see them coming. And more than that, there's a validation. I can grow from it. If aphantasia means that you miss out on a lot of the validation, a lot of the learning, it's definitely, again, in ambiguity and somewhat ambivalence. It's maybe not so good. But if it means that you're going to let go of all the negative prejudice or the thought that it has killed you somehow, even though there's tangible empirical proof that it hasn't, you're still alive, you live your life as if you're a dead person walking, then maybe aphantasia would be a great thing to have. Either way, let's at least see the benefits of psychotherapy. Let's see the benefits of the ability to, then with psychological counseling, openness created by safety and security of a sound, trusting relationship with that significant other who now, as with helper, is there to assist. Then maybe we could dispense with so much the compartmentalization the hiding it away for fear that to relive it even in image and then all of the other sensorium that goes along with it is going to trigger us or throw us back into an active sort of physiological reaction which then would compound it by reinitiating or reindoctrinating one again and again and again with all that norepinephrine and adrenaline, the sympathetic nervous system operations, to the extent that we re-traumatize. Somewhere along the way, the scrubbing or removal of that bias and prejudice has to occur so that it does not then come to be one more brick in the wall. One more sort of proof of the fact that your life is really never going to be safe. That you have to live not only in hypervigilance, but possibly push it far enough to such the threshold of potential paranoia. And that everything is evil, everything is bad, nothing is good. Failure identity, victimization, that becomes part of who you are. We have to separate who you are from what has happened to you in at least those abstract, high-ordered, rational, reasoned, logical, abstract thinking, brainstorming, creative, so we can kind of move the parts around in 
imagination terms, image set of terms, so we can see a different outcome. In that sense, again, those with aphantasia may be a bit at disadvantage, although, once again, doesn't seem to affect the subconscious. And so what I'm really trying to capture is if we already agree not to hide it away or feel we have safety enough to let it come out, maybe even that with the aphantasia, aphantasia, that would not be such the liability. We just don't want you to live your whole life in the shadow of that. Because really... If you continue to accumulate and focus and fixate on all the bad things that have happened to you, which that lens of consciousness and with that awareness and with that construct of personality and identity, if all of that package is corrupted or distorted by such things as this pessimism, negativistic, fatalistic sort of frame of reference, you're just going to always find the bad. And there will always be things that you could look at that nearly kill you in life. And one day, something is going to be your end. But it does not have to be evil, and it does not have to be bad, and death itself does not have to be evil and bad. It just is part of life. But that may be for another podcast, but it leads us to the same point, or at least in most general context or contextual terms, that is the point. If you see your life as nothing but a matter of events or circumstances that's going to kill you, and one day it will kill you, what kind of life is that? Not much hopefulness in that. And it's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood, if not next door to the house of depression. Or if anxiety and depression kind of go hand in hand, and it's a duplex. They live in the house together. Who wants to live next door to that if you don't have to? Or if it is part of everyone's experience, at least in the sense of an awareness of the danger, let's learn from it as quickly as we can, adaptively as we can, Let's scrub it and move on. Not forget it, but take all that negative, the fear, out of it. And see it as within, oh, well, I survived that. That's got to be worth something. And I've learned. I have ability to sort of feel a bit more valid, authentic, genuine, I'm not running from things any longer. I've claimed them. And maybe my life will be more success than failure. And should it even just turn out in the end as a neutral proposition? It's better than seeing it in all that negativity. Now, I don't know, again, if that's what Michael Varnum had in mind when he wrote the article, but that's what I took from it. And should you seek psychological counseling? Should you seek psychotherapy assistance? Should you seek it from me or any of those providers who you might find on the Psychology Today website, the directory of vetted providers? I am sure in their measure of adaptability, adaptation and adaptability always comes back to more, more life. But don't be your own worst enemy, and that's what we're here to help you with, is to realize when 
too much of that is accumulated and you're beginning to fall into the trap of fatalism and victimization and worse, self-victimization, seeing risk and danger and evil where maybe none really exists. Be aware, be attentive. But if you learn well, stay away from those situations you know for sure aren't healthy. Don't be self-destructive. That's a credo of psychological counseling. But I'm sure you will find the help you need. Should you want to reach out to us, you can. You can find us at thewordhouse.com. You can email us at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. You can also call us at 304 523 word 9673 and as I always find uh, fortuitous at this point in the podcast that's a great segue to say and you can come back for our next edition of Word with Dr. Michael David Clay and just for the sake of some positivity and encouragement I want to wish you the best of not only good health and wellness but also mental, mind health. And until we get a chance to talk again, thank you.